listening to a podcast from GravityChurch.com, Lodi, California. Yeah, it's good. It's good, good, good. So last weekend, almost all of us were up at the lake last weekend. I think everybody else is out smoking right now, so can tell everybody from the smoking section time to come back in. What's that? I know, you can't, you can't leave them too long. Um, thinking about last weekend and thinking about the, uh, just the experiences and all the stuff that, that we got to do together was really, really special. And looking at all the pictures and looking at all the different faces and, and the conversations and, and the different things that people experienced together, it was, it was very special. And um, I was just telling Jason up here, we're hoping for a long summer. We're hoping that the... Uh, all the climate change or whatever you want to call it, all the weirdness and the weather lasts and we get like a summer that lasts into like, you know, October or something and we can do another camping trip. Would you guys like to go camping one more time before the end of the year? Man, it was so special. Last week when we were up there, you know, we took some time around the, uh, the, the campfire on Saturday night during our service to just let everybody talk, to just let everybody share from their heart and to just talk about what they were feeling and what they've experienced this last year and the different things going on in their life. And it was really cool because there was, a, there was a consistent theme in a lot of people's words. They were talking about having this sense of feeling like they belong to something. And the word that people used over and over was the word family. They talked about how they have a feeling like they belong to a family, like they're connected to something that is very special and they feel a part of it. And we started thinking about this, this idea of, of family because... If you've been hanging around with us for the last probably three to four months, we've been extensively going through Scripture and, and really trying to get an accurate understanding of what it means to be the body of Christ, what it means to be... What's that? Oh, hey, Glenn. Tony. Anyway, inside joke. Um, man, total ADD. Any of you guys ever see that, that movie with the squirrel? They, yeah. Anyway, so we, st- <laughs> we started talking last week about family, and it brought up this idea of the body of Christ and how we are one. And we started thinking about how we've been getting this very clear image in our mind of what it is to be united with other churches, with other believers. The Bible calls us a family. It calls us a body. It calls us a church. It calls us the bride of Christ. There's all these different pictures in Scripture that help us understand who we are and what, what God is looking for in our role here on planet Earth. And so when we started thinking about family, we started thinking about this crazy thing that we're all experiencing here on Saturday nights and, and during the week that, that God is doing and He's using in a lot of our lives to help us get through the things that we're dealing with and facing and helping us to build relationships and helping us to ultimately have God mold us and make us and shape us into the people that he wants us to be. And in order for that to take place, we have to have an environment that allows that to happen. We have to have an environment that allows that process or that change to take place. And whether you realize it or not, what we have here is a community of people. Now, it's a very strange community, not because of you necessarily, although you do add to the strangeness, but this community that we have is unique and strange because it's composed 
of a lot of people from a lot of different places that if you were to look at them on the surface, they have nothing in common. You have people who are wealthy and you have people who are very impoverished and don't have much of anything right now in their life. You have people who come from family backgrounds that are very put together and mom and dad are still married. And then you have people that come from broken families who never even knew mom or dad. You have everything in between. You have people that are wrestling with addiction. You have people that are wrestling with who they are in their life. You have people who are wrestling with all kinds of different issues. And when we come together, for some reason, we have the ability to love one another and to be able to accept one another right where they're at. And that's a very incredible thing to have for a community of people. And what I'm talking about here tonight is the fact that within every community, there's a culture. There's an accepted culture within every community. And this culture is really kind of the rules of the game, if you will. This culture that we talk about, it tells us what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. It tells us whether or not we fit or whether we don't fit. If any of you have ever traveled to a foreign country or you've gone somewhere outside of the United States that it's a different language that's spoken, it's a very difficult transition to get acclimated to that culture to learn how to speak to people, to learn how to exchange money, to how, simple things like ordering food in a restaurant can be a very, very difficult challenge because the culture that you have gone into is completely different than the culture that you're from. And there's a, there's a complete adjustment, there's a transition that happens, there's this period in your life where you have to learn what this culture is all about. And so here tonight, as we've been talking about this big idea of unity in the body of Christ, that it covers the whole world and includes every Christian and every follower of Christ from every church and how we all fit together. In that big picture, there's a smaller picture that we're going to look at tonight. And it's the community of grace that God wants for us to to understand. In the book of 1 John, we're going to look at some scripture here. Let me read this for you. It's going to be up on the screen behind me too, so you can follow along. It says in 1 John 3.16, we know what real love is. Because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so that we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is God's commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments will remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. Have you ever thought about what it is that brings us together or what it is that separates us? What is it that brings us together or separates us? Many of us look at that question or those questions there, and on the surface, we may think that the things that bring us together 
have to do with similarities. Like we like the same stuff. Like I'm interested in this and sure you're interested in this. And so we come together because we have something in common. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's how relationships begin. But that's not enough to keep a relationship together. And then sometimes we go through situations in life where we don't really have relationships with people that we have everything in common with. Have you ever had somebody you're just like, wow, I'm really compatible with you, but I just don't feel anything when we're together. What is it about relationships that bring us together or that separate us? This scripture talks about something that's very interesting. It talks about, in this passage of scripture, this idea of being able to stand before God with confidence. Very, very interesting. Very interesting idea. Many of you, in personal conversations with me over the last few years, have said things from your heart that have something to do with the fact that you don't feel very confident to stand before God and to talk to God, to go to God directly, face to face, to look Him in the eye, to be with Him one-on-one. You feel like you're on shaky ground or you feel like that if you were to put yourself in that situation, it would be too much to bear. And that's why you come here, which is a good thing. I'm not telling you to not come here. I'm just telling you that most of us start off with that lack of confidence in our relationship with God. It's interesting because a lot of us have that same dynamic in relationships with people too. We will be connected with somebody And we will be very tight with them and very open with them until what happens? What takes place that changes everything? Conflict. Something goes wrong. Somebody says something that steps on the other person's toes or somebody does something and all of a sudden it begins this tension in the relationship and you have introduced conflict or another word for it, you've introduced conflict unresolved sin. You've introduced into the relationship something that needs to be taken care of. And until it's taken care of, that relationship can't function the way that it's supposed to. It happens between you and me, and it happens between me and God. When something comes between us, we have to deal with it. Now, this scripture talks about this in a way that makes it very plain for us. It talks about the fact that When we resolve our sin, it equates to the fact that we don't have any more guilt. In other words, when I have the courage to look at the issues between us and deal with them, the result is no more guilt, which leads to confidence before God. It's a sequence in our life. Right now, I can look in my life and I can look back and I can say, why am I feeling insecure? Or why am I feeling hesitant to pray? Or why am I not feeling confident to be able to go with God, go to God with the things in my life? And I can look back and retrace the steps in my life, and I can find people in my path that I have not made things right with, that I have failed to go back and apologize to if I've said something or done something that hurt them, or to go to them and to tell them whether or not they hurt me or did something that hurt me. Because it goes both ways. Unresolved sin goes both ways. I'm either the recipient of it and I carry the wound or I'm the inflictor of it 
and I give the pain. But either way, I'm on the hook for having to deal with it. If you have hurt me by something that you've done, I am just as responsible as you to go and make it right. We are both on the hook to be able to deal with these things in our life. Now, in the same passage in 1 John, there's another few scriptures that I want to read to you really quick. It says in verse number 7, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. Very important words here. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. God's life is in them. This word life in a different language, in the language that was written, could also be translated as the word seed, like taking a seed and planting it in something and watching it begin to grow. When it says that God's life is in you and me, it's this picture of something that has been placed inside of us that's alive. And all of a sudden, after it's been in there for a while, it begins to grow and it begins to change things and it begins to change and recreate who we are from the inside out. It doesn't say, and sometimes you can read scripture and you can just pull a scripture out like this and think, oh wow, I sinned this week. This says that if I keep on sinning, I must be from the devil. Dang it, I'm in the wrong place tonight. No, you're in the right place tonight. Having an understanding of what is going on inside of you is where you and I need to be. There's nowhere in Scripture that I've found yet that says that once somebody becomes a Christian, they become sin-free. That all of a sudden they go from doing things in their life that are immoral or wrong or, 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 or against God to being flawless and perfect and never having another bad moment or make a bad decision in their life. I haven't found that Scripture yet. What I have found is an overwhelming amount of Scripture that talks about a change that is happening, a metamorphosis that is taking place, a process that we are all going through. Some of us are at the very beginning of this process. Others of us are a little further down the road in this process, but we're all undergoing the same exact process. But the reason that this scripture is so important to us here tonight, talking about our culture and talking about our community and talking about unity in the body of Christ as a bigger picture is because if we don't understand this idea that God has literally planted himself as a seed deep down inside of our hearts, then we will never understand what is really going on. Now, I don't know about you, but I have very limited experience when it comes to agriculture. I have unsuccessfully tried to grow things several times in my life, and they usually end up just sprouting a little bit and then they die, and I don't know why. I do not have a green thumb. I don't have what it takes. But I've seen other people in my life who have this ability to grow beautiful flowers and beautiful gardens, and here I am. I, everything I plant dies. It's like I, I buy this little seedling at the, at the store, and I'm like already telling it I'm sorry on the way home. I'm just like, dude, I'm sorry, man. I didn't have to go this way, but sorry for you, man. And 
And I don't know what I do wrong. But anyway, that's a whole nother story. But the point is, is that I've seen this process of something growing and something coming to life and something changing from a shape into something else and something actually becoming a fruit bearer. I've seen it. Matter of fact, one time I got really lucky and I saved a tomato plant. I don't know how it survived, but I got it far enough along to where the thing actually started producing fruit or or tomatoes. And I was so excited because I love tomatoes. And I'm looking at this and I'm seeing, you know, these little green things coming and, and, and the life start coming out of them. And I'm just amazed at how this process is taking place. And I look at scripture and it paints the same exact picture inside of me, inside of my heart. It says, Jason, there's going to be something from God that's down inside of you. There's no evidence of anything yet, but it's there. And then all of a sudden, it's going to begin to change. And then it's going to begin to do something that becomes visible to everywhere else. What God is doing is he is planting himself in our hearts so that you and I can be the very ones that begin to experience this community together that we've talked about before, this community of grace, a culture of grace. God has planted himself deep in our hearts so that we could experience a culture of grace. Some of us know in the book of Galatians, it actually talks about this process of fruit. And in Galatians chapter 5 and 22, it says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Say those words to yourself with me. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. See, when the Bible starts talking about this idea of fruit, it starts talking about this concept of something beginning to be seen. This is where you and I have a really, really hard time sometimes because sometimes in our life we look who we are and we look at where we're at and the decisions that we make and the issues in our life that we're currently wrestling with or not wrestling with at all. There's certain things that we're dealing with and there's certain things that we're ignoring and not dealing with at all. There's all these different scenarios that are being played out in our life. And when we come to scriptures that talk about the fruit of God and talk about the Holy Spirit birthing and producing and making these things in our life, many times we look at it and we go, well, where's mine? Where's my fruit? How come I don't have patience? How come I don't have peace? Where's the joy in my heart? Where's the things in my life that the scripture says are supposed to be coming out of me? When Jesus came to this earth, he began to teach and he began to talk to a community of people who had a concept about God that was completely different than what he was talking about. 
He was introducing to them a completely different, a di- different form of an, an idea of relating to God. You have to understand that the group of people that he was talking about knew everything about the outside. And they, as a matter of fact, had a rule list that had hundreds of laws that they religiously adhered to. They lived their life by these tenets and by these laws completely, flawlessly, with every ounce of religious effort that they could put into it. And Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to talk about a culture of the heart. He begins to talk about things that are invisible, things that cannot be seen just by meeting somebody and looking them over. He starts talking about the fact that in certain forms of of religious worship that there's actually things that go on inside of us that nobody else can witness or even know is going on and God honors it and God says, this is what I'm all about, a heart-to-heart connection. There's only one problem, one big problem with this concept that Jesus begins to teach and begins to intersect, introduce to them. And this big problem that they have is that who's going to be able to tell who's doing it or not? Who's going to be able to judge and see, oh, they've got it and they don't? Who's going to be able to size each other up and be able to say, well, this guy's very religious and this guy's not? Because Jesus says, I'm not looking on the outside anymore. I'm looking at the heart. He took their religious understanding of God and he flipped it upside down like one of those Christmas globes. And then he shook it and he's like, watch this all go crazy. And they don't know what's going on. The reason I bring all this up is because whether you know it or not, you still wrestle, every single one of you, with those same thoughts in your life. Every single one of us wants to know the rules of the game. Not because we're going to keep them, but because we want to know how close we can get to the line before we step over it. Everybody wants to know where the box is that I'm supposed to be in. Everybody wants to know what's expected of me. And Jesus comes into, into our situation and he says, I'm no longer going to judge you based upon your performance on the outside. In other words, you can live a squeaky clean life and it's not going to impress God any more than the guy that wrestles through his addiction and is daily battling his flesh and trying to live obediently to what God's called him to do. He's going to look at both of you and say, okay, I see what's going on on the outside, but I'm looking deeper. I'm looking deeper than the surface. I'm looking at the heart. And Jesus says, I am going to literally change the whole way this works by taking the seed of God and planting it inside of your heart. In other words, what Jesus said is you can't ever be good enough. You can never keep the rules good enough. You can never live perfect enough to meet the expectation of God. And so God is going to change it by actually becoming one with you. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that changes everything. Because when God says to Jason, I'm going to become one 
with you, what that means is that I am no longer standing on my own track record. I'm no longer standing on my own merits, on my own talents, or on my own accomplishments. I am now standing on the record of Jesus, on the accomplishments of Christ, and on the merits of who God is. And God says, Jason, I'm putting myself inside of you. And we're going to start to change from the inside out. And I, what does he say? He said, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is going to begin to change and produce fruit. It doesn't say Jason's going to produce fruit. It doesn't say that Jason's going to be the one that's going to cause these little tomato-like things to grow. It says the Holy Spirit is going to begin to change me and produce this fruit and begin to give me what I know personally I don't have in my life. In this scripture in 1 John, there's a snippet in there that is absolutely revolutionary when you understand it in its context. It's talking about sin and it's talking about us and it's talking about the devil and it's talking about the world. And then it says this statement. It says, but the Son of Man, or Jesus, that's who it's talking about, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, when you and I think about what are the works of the devil, a lot of different pictures might come to your mind. Some of you may look at your life, and you may look at certain situations, and you go, that's the work of the devil. Some of you may look at the world around us, and you may look at different catastrophes, or you may look at different injustices or poverty or people that are dying of starvation, and you could say that's the work of the devil. I personally have seen this beautiful picture in Scripture that we've talked about of God coming and making a world that was perfect in every way. It wasn't sick. It didn't have disease. It didn't have cancer. It didn't have all the things that you and I wrestle with. God created a world that literally did not have death in it. It was a world that didn't break down and it didn't decay. Nobody ever got divorced. Nobody ever abused another person. There was never any hatred or revenge or anger. This is the world that God created that in my mind I see vividly that God wants back. And everything else that doesn't resemble that to me is the work of the devil. The curse that is on this planet is the work of the devil. The sickness that you and I wrestle with is the work of the devil. The families that we've had torn apart and the devastation that we currently have in our relationships right now, it's the work of the devil. And what does this strong statement say? It says that Jesus came to destroy that. He came to destroy everything that the devil had made. All of the darkness that had been spread, Jesus came to push it back with his light. All of the different things that you and I have witnessed, Jesus came to bring resolution to. So when Jesus talks about this worldview and he begins to talk about this view of God, he begins to tell people this idea that God is not angry with them. 
that God is not their enemy and that God wants to be close to them, that God wants them to be able to come to him with absolute confidence. Jesus says, I want you to pray in such a way that it's just like climbing up on your daddy's lap and asking him to show you affection. And if you have the kind of father that would do that, then you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, you can't relate to that concept. But God, Jesus was saying, God wants you to know him in an intimate way and to call him daddy and to be able to come before him with absolute confidence in your heart. And so as we talk about this culture and we talk about this, this idea of this environment that we live in, God says, when you have a guilt-free life, you have the ability to stand before God with absolute confidence. When you deal with the unresolved sin issues in your life, the people that you have wronged and the people who have wronged you, when you look at these issues and you say, I have to deal with them, I have to make peace, I have to apologize, I have to repent, I have to go back and I have to deal with these things, it removes that guilt from your life. Jesus felt so strongly about this in one of his teachings that he actually said that if you're at church and you're getting ready to give an offering to God and you remember that somebody has something against you or there's an animosity between you or somebody else, Jesus actually said, I want you to drop your gift. Don't even bother giving it to God. Leave the church immediately and go find that person. In other words, Jesus said, I want you to worship God but way more important is I want you to go and deal with the wrongs in your life. Because what Jesus was saying is you can't worship God correctly if this stuff isn't dealt with. You can never get there because you can't have confidence before God because there's always something in the back of your head that you're trying to ignore. And when you go to God, you're always saying, I hope he doesn't ask me about that one. You know that feeling? It's like, oh man, I think we're good. You know, just keep smiling. Maybe he won't remember Mm -mm. He sees it all. Sometimes we look at our life and we think, there's too much. There's too much for me to deal with. There's too much stuff for me to go back and sort through. This is the most beautiful thing that I want to share with you tonight. It is too much. It is way too much for you and for I to go back through the wreckage of our life and through the things that we've done and first of all try to remember all of them and then second of all try to truly deal with every one of them case by case it's it's tough and that is why I am so grateful for what it says in Ephesians when it says when we're full of the Holy Spirit we are led by the Holy Spirit. He begins to lead us into the areas of our life. See, Jesus took away this whole concept of outward living. He said, I'm not going to look at you and watch the way you live and make a judgment accordingly. He says, I'm going on the inside and now I'm going to speak to you. A whole different deal. He says, in other, in other words, instead of it being a, an external surface, 
I can go by and judge everybody by their behavior. I'm going on the inside where their heart is, and I'm going to talk to them, and I'm going to speak to them about the issues in my life, in their life, and I'm going to lead them step by step, situation by situation, into the things that they have to deal with and where they have to go and what they're wrestling with. You and I, when we understand the fact that God has put himself, his seed inside of us, we begin to understand this availability and this intimacy that is based upon one thing and one thing only. A willing heart that says yes to whatever God says. In other words, one more time, Jesus, I trust you with me. Whatever you ask, I will do. Wherever you lead, I will follow. Whatever conversation you want me to have, I will have. Whatever issue you want me to deal with, I will deal with. The issue at hand is, Jesus, I surrender everything to you. You're on the inside. You're changing me from the inside. You're birthing and producing fruit in my life. And as I follow you and surrender to you, Jesus does the work. He does the process. A few weeks ago, we talked about spiritual gifts, and we talked about the fact that Jesus gave spiritual gifts to the church, tons of spiritual gifts. And many of us here tonight are beginning to realize that our healing, that our, our wrestling through the deal and the issues in our life is starting to happen because we are being obedient to use the gifts that God has given to us. It's this simultaneous transaction. God says, use your gift. And I say, God, I can't use my gift. I'm not good enough. And God says, you'll never be good enough. I'm saying use your gift because of me. I gave it to you. I'm giving it to you to use. I want you to use it. And we're scared and we're apprehensive, but we begin to step out and use it. And after we use it, this amazing thing starts to happen. We begin to see God healing our hearts. All of a sudden, the things that we've got piled up right here that we can't even look at, all of a sudden we're looking at them and we're like, wow, that's not that much. It's not as scary as I thought it once was. Why? Because we're experiencing the life of God flowing through our lives. If you're a teacher here tonight, teach. If you're a leader, there's people that need direction from you. They need a leader to follow. If you're somebody who God has given a gift and you're full of compassion for people that are hurting or people that are going through hard times, I've got a list a mile long of people who need compassion in their life right now. If you're a person who operates in prophetic gifts, I've got people that need direction. They need somebody to pray with them. They need to know God's heart for their life right now. And when we step out and we begin to follow the leading of God and we begin to operate in the gifts that he's given to us, not only does the blessing of God flow through our life to other people, but we get healed in the process. We become different. We get changed. And all of a sudden, we start looking at our life and we're like, wow, tomatoes, look, it's... It's happening, fruit. It's being produced in my life. Over the course of the next, I don't know how long, but a little while, 
we're going to begin talking about what it looks like to be the community of God. And we're going to let Jesus teach us what it looks like through his eyes to be the community of God. To be people who are affecting our culture, not just in this room, but where we live, where we worship, where we play, where we eat, where we do everything. Because I truly believe that just as Jesus came and talked to the religious leaders about their religious culture and began to deal with it, he began to change their culture through his teachings and through his revelation of who God is. I believe that Jesus wants us to change our culture through us. I believe that he is working inside of us and he has planted himself inside of us. And I am so excited because I am already seeing the sprouts in your lives. I'm seeing the fruit of God coming up. It's so amazing to watch. It's like there's no timeline that you can count on. You can't say to somebody, hey, this is when it's going to happen, and then this is what's going to happen, and this is when it's going to... It's like everybody's different all over the map. But all of a sudden, it's like overnight, something comes alive inside of us. And you know what I'm talking about because you're feeling it too. Some of you are like, man, I thought something would never change. And all of a sudden, you're waking up and you have joy. And you're like, when did this happen? I've always been a doom and gloom type of a person. You're waking up and you've got hope. And you're like, where is this coming from? I still am broke. I don't have a job. I don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden, you're hopeful. You know what that is? That's the fruit of God in you. That's the fruit of God living on the inside of you, showing you that he is alive, showing you that he is working, showing you that this is not a joke, that this is not a game. We've got plenty of other things that we could be doing with our times. I don't have any time to play church or or religion. I want something that's legit. I want something that's real. I want something that when I see it in somebody else's life, I watch a transformation take place in front of my eyes, and I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it in you. Let's pray together. You've been listening to gravitychurch.com.